I uh, I was in I was in the Hague, or as the kids like to say, and by the kids I guess I mean the Dutch. The kids like <laughs> they, 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 do the kids like saying the Hague. They ha- they say Den Hog, and uh, I got a couple got a couple comments on on the Hague. One, it's true what people have told me that like I took the train down there, which is fine, you know, not a big deal. Uh, as you get closer to the Hague, people dress more nicely, lots of suits. So the Hague is sort of like, uh, you know, very dressed up businessy type of part of part of part of Amsterdam. It's really all just Amsterdam. I think that's the attitude people have about Amsterdamers is they think the whole of the Netherlands is just Amsterdam, which does that like rub them the wrong way? I mean, oh, is that like- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think I think between between your Rotterdam, your uh, your the Hague and your the Amsterdam uh like there's there's kind of like a it's a similar situation of like austin dallas and houston where there's just like you know delightful comical uh you know known uh rivalries between them i don't think down in maastricht they really give a fuck they don't that doesn't really come up i don't know what's going on there and 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 just 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 for for clarity how many people are in the netherlands i think 17 million okay what what i hear it's it's not that much smaller than than Australia. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we've mentioned this here, but uh, one of the reasons I heard that uh, that Dutch people know English so well. I mean, I think it's just because they learn English from a young age, and you know, learning is probably why. But learning. What, one of the things that people say every now and then is that uh, the Netherlands is such a small market that it's very rare that uh, TV and movies get get uh, subtitled get dubbed into wow. into uh, yeah, that makes sense. into Dutch. That so there's fun. always like subtitles so you basically get exposed to a lot of English. However, when we went to go see I don't know how to train your dragons lost kingdom of rise of the dragons whatever the most recent one is it was all in uh netherlands as they say all in dutch which was kind Ooh, of interesting how'd you follow was it subtitled or what well you know don't tell my kids but i wasn't really planning on following the movie in the first place uh so <laughs> you know and it's pretty simple it's like dragons vikings a problem arises involving dragons and someone inexplicably wants to kidnap all the dragons. It's it's like a James Bond villain. It's just like, you know, we want to take over yeah. the world, and we haven't. We the villains haven't really thought what happens after that, but, but we just want to take over the world. But but you're following along, and I mean the movie's in uh, dubbed to Dutch, right? Yeah, yeah. A- and your kids are cool with that. Yeah, I guess they were fine. I mean, they didn't really... Say, we were like, oh, this is going to be in Dutch. You can practice your Dutch. And they're like, yeah, okay. And they wow. just they just watched it. I mean, they they love that fucking dragon shit, man. Like that... <laughs> they, I, I have a lot of thoughts on that How to Train Your Dragon stuff. First of all, first of wow. all, the main character, Hiccup, terrible name, but it's, it's, an, yes. it's a name for him. For, for the longest time, I thought he was... Uh, who's the guy in Heathers? The squinty guy? Also in that radio, uh, radio uh, uh, Christian Slater. Yeah, I thought the the guy doing the voice was Christian Slater for the longest time because he's got kind of that like high pitched kind of voice, but it's not him. So that was a letdown. I mean, you know, you always want uh, someone famous involved. <laughs> and then, and then also, uh, as is, you know, I pointed this out. I was hanging out with some Scottish people uh, a couple of days ago in in the Hague at a little customer dinner thing. You know how that goes? Have a customer dinner? Yeah. It was hanging out with the Scots. Can I just Hague. say we we went to some place that was called the Bit Grill. We're about like five layers deep in the stack here, so hopefully I can remember how to get back out of this hole. Uh, 
ultimately, I was going to talk about bottles in uh, Marriott hotel rooms. So let's let's uh, remember that. Circle around. But uh, we went to this place called The Bit. Uh, and boy, they had some great beef there. You know, I'm always complaining about beef around here. And uh, the Bit Grill, very good beef. They did the thing where uh, they cook you a steak, but they pre-slice it out for you. And they bring it on a big, a big uh, platter. But it was good, good, good meat there. So I was talking with the Scottish guys, and I got to point out like my favorite thing, finally, to some Scottish people uh, about about uh, how to train your dragon and stuff. And like I said, do you ever notice that like Vikings in all Hollywood movies are always Scottish? And and they gave me a. Usually, I ask this, and people are like, I've never noticed this, but they were basically just like, yes. <laughs> they, they were like, we are also confused and okay i was gonna say did, were they confused did they feel pride what's going no, on here no they, there was there was a bit of it was it was like confused is the wrong thing I, I would say there was a neutral position not as in they didn't care but that the both sides of it kind of canceled each other out right so on the pro side it's like vikings are cool right so like whatever you know we go with it and on the minus side, uh, as as we, I was kind of thinking as we were talking about it, I'm pretty sure uh, Vikings like uh, terrorized Scotland for many centuries. So I'm not they, sure like the Scottish would be like, oh yes, I would love it if we were the official voice of uh, the kind of like you know people who were attacking us and stealing uh, everything and uh, killing us. That's that's great. Love that. Well. That that they were the the Saxons came over from uh, uh, was Scandinavia in like 800 or something, right? Yeah, and they were always invading and invading, and they stayed, and that's why like they're still kind of there. Yeah, yeah, and and then and (laughs) then that's your European history. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, and then uh, also one of them pointed out, I forget, I I never remember any towns people mention of anything unless it has some funny name. Uh, But they said that there's a a Viking festival every year that lasts a couple days somewhere in Scotland. And they just, you know, they even reenact wars as Vikings and things like that. And I'm thinking like, I mean, you know, we have Civil War reenactors. So I guess in Europe, you would reenact like the Battle of Red Left Foot in 300 (laughs) <laughs> ad or something that that makes sense and then but then the funny part he was he said and at the end of the festival they uh they push a long boat out into the ocean and light it on fire and so i thought that kind of said it all like you know see you later fuckers right like we can finally leave our our land here but uh yeah so like yeah they're, they're always they're always uh the vikings are always scottish now I didn't quite catch what accent they were using in the uh, the Dutch version of How to Train Your Dragons. I, I, oh, that would be interesting to see, like what accents they give. Now there is this there is this movie that I tried to watch called Red Bad, not to be confused with Strong Bad, kind of about like uh, I forget what's it's not the Flemish, it's the other. There's another sort of like elder eth- like group of people in uh, in the lowlands here. But uh, they spoke in, in Dutch, I think, and then the enemies, the the Franks, spoke in English, which I thought was a nice reversal of how things usually go. Um, but consequently, I stayed in a uh, Marriott hotel room when when I was down there, and and I got upgraded to the presidential suite. It was it was it was pretty amazing. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't really a suite as in multiple rooms, but it was very nice. And I went to the back bathroom part and it was just full of all the Marriott bottles. I think there were maybe six bars of soap back there. I could have like, you know, 
washed a room full of great Pyrenees with all the uh, the shampoo that was available. Lots of little bottles. And then, lo and behold, I saw in our show notes here that Marriott is going to eliminate all the small bottles. So I feel like I should have grabbed all of them for collector's items. Maybe, maybe they're just going to hoard them in that one hotel. Yeah. But, but quick question for you, Katia. Uh, I've noticed when I traveled in Europe, not certainly not as extensively as you at this point, but like I felt like they they had already in, in many European hotels kind of tran- didn't mm. do the bottle things. They had the kind of the uh, you know kind of things in the shower, like you press yeah. on them the dispensers. Yep. yep. And they would just come fill it up, and I was like, oh, this. When I, this is many years ago, I was like, oh, this is a lot smarter. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, we should do this in the U.S. And then now I guess Marriott is. I don't know if they're doing dispensers, but they're doing I guess regular big bottles. So. Is that not the case? Is it not all over Europe? They already have the dispensers going? Yeah, that is the case that they don't have that going. Uh, but, you know, like like if you uh, – I only stay at Marriott's, uh, you know, previously Starwood, so I can only comment on that. Um, but, like, if you if you go to the – like an Aloft, which – an Aloft is, is basically – anyways, Aloft, don't stay there unless you have to. Uh, and uh, – and they have the bottles that are fixed onto the wall. And sometimes you'll go other places, like uh, there's there's the uh, whatever the place is called here in Amsterdam that's just on the other side of the ferry from uh, over, over the eye on uh, the other side of the ferry. There's one place up there, and they have bottles on the wall. But, yeah, I had that reaction like you. Like there's a lot of places that have the bottles on the wall. And, frankly, I, I welcome the bottles on the wall. Those, those are good. Because you know what I've started doing? Here's a little pro tip. Uh, is I used to, I would, you know, I, I like to wash my hands, um, as needed. And, uh, you know, you're in, you're in the hotel, uh, there in the bathroom and they've always got a bar of soap and you unwrap the bar of soap and you're like, I'm going to use this bar of soap, like, you know, five times or maybe more. I don't know the appropriate amount of times. And that is not going to use up the whole bar of soap. And then I assume they just throw this bar of soap around, which seems a right way, which seems wasteful. So here's, here's your life hack. I have started using, instead of the bar of soap, I just use the shower gel. So you squeeze it out of a bottle. And I think that uh, conserves all that soap. (laughs) Software. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I got going on uh, this week in my neck of the woods. (laughs) Anything happening over there? Hey, no, I have, I do have one follow-up question, not on the soap. I'm going to let that go. But I do – I want to know The Hague because I feel like in the my only exposure to The Hague is through like uh, basically American movies where they're using like – they're having possible. some criminal – there's like a criminal trial. For, uh, like, like usually yeah. wars. Uh, Somebody's got to break uh, out. Yeah, and they've got to break out people. And I, I was like, did you see that? Was it, do they really have that courtroom there? Like kind of the, the crimes against uh, – Humanity, yeah, with I, the, you the know, super I, secret court, like because that's the only place I would want to even. That would be the only thing I would even to ask to see. Yeah, I, I have to, to admit, testify? I I was eager to see that, but I did not see it. I think I didn't look this up, but I think I was next the. I think I was next to next to some sort of international chemical association or something. Um, and you know the funny part about I should go look what it is, but 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 the it was between the the hotel and and the um uh, the cf summit as it were a cloud foundry summit and there were these signs on the fence for the this building this institute and it said the signs were a series of like once a year we open our doors to the public you know come and learn and experience this and now that i'm saying that they never actually said what they do 
It was like enterprise software advertisement. It was just like there's all this great potential and awesomeness. Reduce costs, increase optimization. You're (laughs) like, I got to get in there. Let me get in that What can Barracuda (laughs) Firewalls do for you? Is there a culture talk I can get in on? I love that. Oh, man, man. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, CF Summit was, was nice. I enjoyed Next time that. you go to the Hague, Cote, uh-huh. pictures of the uh, the courtroom. That's mm. what I want. That's all I care about. They have those Mo bikes, you know, those orange bikes you can rent in uh, in mm-hmm. the Hague. I'm surprised they don't have those in Amsterdam that I found, but they're nice. Uh, I enjoy those quite a bit. So, <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to come up with what to talk about next. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I, I was I was at CF Summit where I ran into a lot of people. I know you know who I ran into some of the uh, the active state people. I mean, staccato people. They're over there at Suse now. You know, my my yeah. one of my one of my favorite sort of little things to follow. I think they're uh, they're more or less independent. I think there's like a Swedish company that like bought them or something, but they seem to be doing fine. They still have lots of stuffed lizards. I should have gotten one, and it was drizzling a little bit. One of them pulled out. A, uh, I think, I think a, uh, uh, what would you call it? A, co- a, sh- a swag collector's item. It was a, it was an umbrella that had printed on it active state staccato. And, uh, they were kind of brandishing it in front of me because they, they knew I would be interested <laughs> they, in it. They were taunting you with their, yeah, with yeah. their, uh, out of date swag. Yeah. I had a, before I, we moved over here and I packed up a bunch of stuff, I had this great, like, uh, like active state trucker hat that looked very genuine. I like that. I don't even want to know what I have in storage anymore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to be there October 7th to 9th for Spring One Platform in Austin, Texas. Uh, Maybe I can go visit my storage. You ever go visit your storage, Matt Ray? See how it's doing? I I do, or I have. Uh, The first year we we visited, we pulled some stuff. Uh Uh, the, The second year, we emptied it out, got rid of half that stuff and Ooh. moved into a smaller unit. Huh. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm thinking, do I really care about any of that stuff anymore to the point where you're paying, you know, 200 bucks a month or whatever. Ah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I did that here on my desk recently. I did this thing where usually my desk is covered with stuff and I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get a box, a little container and just put all of that stuff on my desk into the box, just indiscriminately and as I need things, I will pull it back out and, and see how it goes. And so far, I haven't really needed anything. So it's uh, very refreshing. Uh, I like that. You know, you know, let's say you had a pile of stuff in your data center just running around very disorganized. And you weren't lucky enough that you could just stick it all in a box or lock it in a storage shed. But you wanted to somehow keep track of all of it. Matt, is there something yeah. you could use when you, you can't There's... put all your shit in a box? <laughs> there certainly is. Uh, this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their APM tools, Logly. When there is a service t- disruption, seconds matter. Don't waste time looking for logs or combing through endless screens of events. Let SolarWinds Logly aggregate, manage, and analyze all your log data so you quickly spot issues, jump to the relevant event messages, and identify the root cause. And the Logly in-context integration with SolarWinds AppOptics adds rich performance instrumentation and distributed tracing to further accelerate identification of root cause and significantly reduce MTTR. Spend less time troubleshooting and more time innovating with context in your logs. Logly is scalable, cloud-based log management that won't break the bank. Plus, SDT listeners get a special 20% off your first year of Logly from now 
until September 30th. Better move fast. Offer for new customers only. To try it for free for 14 days, just go to logly.com slash SDT. Uh, that's logly, L-O-G-G-L-Y dot com slash SDT, all lowercase. If it logs, it can log to Logly. And of course, we always thank SolarWinds for being such a great sponsor. Really appreciate them. Yeah, and 20% off an entire year. What a deal. That's, that's what a, a deal. 20%. You know, I used to, when, when I was younger, I used to think that like 10 and 20% was not that much. But now I realize that 20% is, is, a, lot, is a lot of money. 10%. Not you you, too you much. know what 20% is? Double that's partner 10? margin. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Bring it back to enterprise software sales. So, so I, I was. When, I was at CF Summit, and uh, you know, you know, one of the things, and and I've been I've been trying real hard to like write more newsletter stuff. I uh, I forget where I where I commented noticed, on this, but I I really like Matt Levine's money stuff, and I like his tone and format, and so I'm like I wanna I wanna be like like Matt. I'm gonna be that guy, and uh, my target is you got to write like maybe three to four newsletters a week. It's like a challenge, and what I've discovered is I have a lot to say. I just have to make myself sit down and type it and uh, be happy that it's just kind of babbling. But when I was at CF Summit, I, you know, there's, there's always a lot of discussion. Well, I mean, I think the general sentiment in the world is like, all right, with Kubernetes, that's what we're going to do. Let's, let's, uh, let's charge on through that business. And so there was lots of discussion of that there at CF Summit. And of course there was uh, some, some VMware people. And I think the current thing, I think, you know, what was it, maybe six, seven months ago? It was like, you know, Kubernetes is a platform for building platforms. So all you developers can go fuck yourself, right? Like, don't, don't touch my platform. And now I think the meme is, and, and this was a while ago, but I think the meme is like, you know, we want to make it boring. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's an interesting concept. But as I was noodling through things, one of the things I've been playing around with is like, I feel like, so the goal, there's two goals. You have a goal of like, and this is all, you know, trying to um, <clears throat> learn from and uh, build on the learnings of the OpenStack world, I think, which had similar ambitions <laughs> and, and things like that. And it feels like so far there's been different uh, paths being taken and stuff. I'm always curious to see what happens. But, uh, you know, one, let's just all agree on this standard and treat this thing as a standard that we all code to, which seems to be happening, right? Even Even Brandon's favorite mesosphere is like, Boom. I'm a Kubernetes people. Yep. I don't know if that's grammatically correct. Uh, and uh, as is everyone else, it seems. So you got that going on. And then I think there's this other part in infrastructure software that's always the boring thing, which is like we are providing this uh, for someone further up the stack than us, in this case, developers to use. And I'd kind of sort of like them to stop messing with my shit. Right. Like we don't yeah. really want them to get down here and do things right. Like, you know, this yeah. kind of it, this kind of starts here's, with here's your interface. You exactly. Know, don't cross this line. The, right? This kind of starts with the uh, maybe all the way back to Opsware and Blade Logic and stuff. But, you know, with the puppet and chef world where it's like, don't manipulate web server comp files directly, please. Right. Like instead yes, for the love of all things. Yeah. Yes. Manipulate this layer here. And so I've been kind of playing around with this and I feel like with developers, you got to be careful with calling something boring uh, because I think developers <laughs> love boring shit. Like I think, I think to them, like if something's a black box, that's like they want to know what's in that box and they want to mess around it. Now they might get bored on their own, but, but we have this notion and I don't know if this is true, but I'm just kind of thinking through it. Like 
we have this notion in the uh, the containery world that like developers, you know, they want to spend their time being productive and they don't want to spend their time configuring things. But then we spend a lot of time telling developers they shouldn't be configuring things. And so there's like this weird, I don't really know what, what the path is there, but I think maybe, and maybe y'all, especially Matt, have experienced this because that's a lot of like kind of some of what, what, you know, Chef has been trying to achieve over the years. But like, I think maybe you let developers like play around with the thing for a while and they get bored and just want to automate it <laughs> and not like mess with it anymore. But you kind of can't yeah. go in telling them like, this is boring. Therefore, you shouldn't be interested. It's like if I told my kid, you should really not look at the top shelf of the pantry. There's nothing interesting up there. I would like you to yeah. not do that. Uh, that's the, the, the candy and liquor shelf mm-hmm. way out of reach. Candy and liquor <laughs> shelf. I, I like I like the way you arrange yeah, your pantry. Wait, wait. I, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, developers. Um, they, they, they generally don't want to know what's going on down at those layers. Uh, you know, they, they hopefully have better things to do than than to worry about you know the state of of the infrastructure until it affects them. And what I kind of see in general is you know large organizations where. Um, Somebody paid too close attention, and they built some, you know, broke, uh, bespoke monster piece of of infrastructure, and then, you know, developers have a hard time deploying onto that thing, and so, having a platform like, you know, a Cloud Foundry or, you know, any sort of established standard interface to deployment, in the long term, yeah, that's a big advantage for developers, uh, as long as they, you know, stay in their lane. <laughs> But I think I think you're hitting on the the most important part of that is that until it's sort of you know because another way for boring would be stable right I think that'd be kind of a different mm. way to think yeah, about it and say yeah. until something has been proven to be extremely stable almost to the point that if there's an error it's probably much more likely to be your error than it is the the underlying thing that you're using like I think I think Linux would be at that point whereas most of the time it's you know not the Linux operating system oh, yeah. You, yeah. you yourself. So anytime you're introducing any type of new platform or you know package it up whether it's a Java application server or you know any type of you know application deployment strategy I I think this is where to be be more optimistic around developers like, hey we need to know enough about it until such time that it's proven its stability to us. And then to what exactly. you're saying, Cote, once that has been done, it's absolutely, let's encapsulate and automate as much of this as uh, possible because it's met that stability goal or uh, you know, just kind of sense that like we're at a point that we're, we're going to move beyond this. right? We, we, we trust it. We want it out of the way. But it takes yeah. a while for each one of these. Anything that's new, it takes a while for everyone to get comfortable with it. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it, I mean, it, you you would think after all these years and having like worked at Red Monk and ostensibly known about developers, I would like know, but like they're still very confusing to me as far as like their, uh, <laughs> their, their loosely put their buying habits and and the way they select things, right? Like every every couple of years, and and I, I use this term developers kind of uh, purposely facetiously as if you can kind of like boil down the millions of developers into the world into like one persona one style. Yeah. yeah yeah but they they're still like they mystify me with with things that they choose and don't choose and and just uh i don't know may, maybe like the simple rules just straight up apply and i keep battling against them the simple rule being like uh a developer wants something quick and easy to use that they don't have to pay any money for and 
And and also, it probably should work, although that's kind of optional, right? Like, because well, it, it should at least work for their purposes, and then someone else should have to worry about uh, running it, and and they they don't need to do it. Which is that's kind of the characterization that in the infrastructure world, people have of developers, right? Like even uh, one of the talks I went to, I always like to go see a Doctor Nick talk. It's fun to think about his arc, right? Like from being just a Ruby on Rails guy who had funny jokes. And then uh, he had this great talk. Did you, I don't know if you probably never saw this, Matt Ray, but it, it was it was about Bosch, which is the uh, configuration thingamajiggy in Cloud Foundry. And uh, his talk was called, what was it? <laughs> it was like, but I just but I just learned Chef. Why do I need to learn Bosch? Which was <laughs> uh, hilarious at the time. Uh, <laughs> and now he's just like a big, you know, get get you up and running with Cloud Foundry. But he's he's hilarious. But yeah, he he had the characterization of like you know developers. They're the people who like write code and then uh, go on to do something else, so they don't really ever need to support it. Which which I guess is true. But like I guess that means that like you know DevOps didn't fully solve that problem. Uh, which which uh, is is a whole other bucket of worms. But yeah, they, like. I still don't feel like we have a very good grasp on on like what how developers actually behave. And now that I think of it, like, do do we ever ask them? <laughs> if only there was some sort of state of developer report or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, think there is say, though. There, is there? There certainly are a lot of uh, you know developer relations people out there, right? De- yeah. Uh, you know, developer advocates. Yeah, so I, I, would, yeah. I would hope that they... But I think, I mean, one thing you do, though, I, sometimes I, if you step back from the problem a little bit and just say, kind of going back, say, okay, the developers ultimately, what do they want to do? They want to usually become very proficient in a programming language to implement, most of the time, business logic. So mm. I think we kind of think about motivations. It does kind of start there. Like, what are the tools and programming languages that these this group of people gravitate towards, right? So that's sort of like step one. And then step two is, okay, how then do are they supposed to run this in a way that's both stable and scalable? And another way to say it, that just prevents them from being on call and getting lots of late night messages, right? So if you kind of just keep walking through that, yeah, yeah. that process. And then I think the third thing there is, all right, what's the learning? So once I've become skilled at programming and I know a couple programming languages and I've developed some preference to it, it's like, how much other stuff do I need to learn to build and run my code? And if I learn it, what's the lifetime you know, value of this new thing that I've learned? So if someone comes out with like something brand new, a new way of doing it, you know, and you're, it's not stable and you're not sure, it's like, I think there's always going to be some natural hesitation to like, I want to learn this whole thing, right? Because it, it, it kind of feels like, was it like a roach motel kind of thing? Like if I get in there and I learn a bunch of stuff, it's not going to work, it's not going to be transferable mm. versus like, take kubernetes right i think this is why this is where it's everybody at least at the moment i think feels like hey it's valuable to learn kubernetes like this is going to be a skill set of knowledge that's going to be that you're going to use for 10 plus years versus like let's pick on mesosphere a little bit it's like if you spend a lot of time learning mesosphere you know and then they announce like hey we're going to you know to kubernetes it's like it feels kind of wasted right you're like well i mean that's good i know that but the, the industry's moved on so I think, you know, as we take things to developers, we think about new projects, that's how I think about it. It's like, how do they want to encapsulate the business logic? What's the programming language they want to use? What are the build and run um, paradigms that are most popular that they're going to quickly either know or want to learn more about? And then two, are the platforms they ultimately run on stable enough so they're not going to get called at night? And I think if you answer all questions, all those questions, you know, that's how you can make a compelling case to, you know, some development group to like, yeah. you know, this is the way to do it. Yeah, you, like you have a new standard approach and you know 
lots of people can get around this pattern. You've got the tools to support it. I mean, I, I it's been said a lot of places, like developers shouldn't know about Kubernetes. What they should know is, you know, whatever encapsulation of their application sits on top of that and let, you know, Kubernetes be this magical plumbing that, that works underneath it. I mean, most most developers are not full stack developers. Uh, you know, they, they're busy with their little stack of, of uh, you know, software and, and that's all they want to care about. And, and that's fine. Um, but they, what they want is, you know, a, a very stable uh, approach so they can focus on, you know, the business problems in front of them instead of like worrying how this service mesh adapts to the networking mm-hmm. under it. To me, like, right. you know, having touched networking stuff before that is, you know, that is the, encapsulation abstraction that i want so mm. badly to work the most because i never want to go near it again because <laughs> yeah. you know it, it just you know it, you know circling back to kind of what you were saying about uh you know learning to you know trust the platform it, it, when i started in computer science back you know the university days long long time ago uh a professor once told us you know as we were writing our code it's like it's never the compiler's problem you know, he's like, you people are too young. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, the stuff you're writing is never going to be the compiler's problem. So, you know, when you're up there at, you know, two in the morning, the night before your homework's due, it's, it's your never fault. that. It's yeah. always your fault. And it's you know always what? your fault. He was right for probably the first, you know, 10, 15 years till you got to the really esoteric edges of computing. Like now, you know, some of the stuff that I run into is like, oh, you know, GCC on 32-bit ARM, yeah, you might hit some edge cases, right? But he's, he was right. Um, <laughs> and, and what developers want is they want to never, ever think about GCC you know, yeah. or, or the JDK. They want something boring so they can focus on you know, putting their, their, you know, their light green widgets in place and you know, moving on to the next problem. Mm. I think, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I think like this kind of bring us back to the Cloud Foundry Summit, which I did not attend. And this one I attended via Instagram. I just looked at the pictures and I thought <laughs> it was still very interesting. I got enough out of it that, you know, to your point, like I, I saw a bunch of different pictures of slides. And that's what was kind of interesting. And like people had different comments on the same, you know, basically the same pictures. And one of them was, you know, essentially like IBM was showing Cloud Foundry and OpenShift, like side by side, right? Kind of the typical, hey, we have both, you can do either. But kind of think about that for a second, right? Just step back as a developer, it's like, huh, okay. Like you have to kind of decide which one of these things do I want to go learn. Now, some people can make that decision for you, tell you this is what we're doing, and you got to go learn it. But you're going to have, the, just as a normal human nature, you're going to say, am I going the right way? Am I learning something here that's going to be reusable that I think is going to uh, provide it? And when I go out to happy hour, the other people are going to be talking about something that I can get help on that enhances my skills. And at the simultaneously, you know, outside of the cloud foundry subject, or maybe a part of it is you have the, the, you know, what hyperscale cloud vendors as Gardner calls them, right? AWS, Google and Azure. And they're all pitching, you know, slightly different, you know, other options, right? They're saying you could do Cloud Foundry or OpenShift in some cases, but they're also saying, here's another way to do it. Here's another way you can package the application on the cloud. Mm. And, you know, just like we talk about Amazon's dominance from a, a consumer perspective, I think a lot of people, like, I don't think anyone is... Uh, ever saying like, oh, I just don't have time to learn AWS. It probably feels pretty safe to like learn some AWS skills. So, so just kind of back to like this idea, like I'm sitting there, I'm a just whatever, I'm a, a Node.js programmer, right? I'm really good at Node, and I this is I'm getting hired to do that. 
So when I go to deploy my code or I want to use some of these external services, you know, there's Cloud Foundry, there's um, all the things I just mentioned from Azure, from AWS, maybe from Google, there's OpenShift. Like there's a lot to take in there, right? And then there's yeah. pros and cons to each one. And then there's the stability of each one and like who's using it. So I think it is a lot for, and I don't, I don't, I totally get where a developer's coming from. It's like, huh, not totally sure which thing. I, and then there's just Kubernetes. Like there's just like roll your own, right? And you're thinking to yourself, Maybe I don't want to be there forever, but I need to learn enough until it is like GCC, until it's never my fault, right? Mm, um, right. And I think that's a lot to take in. So that's why when you see a lot of people talking about, you know, PaaS has been here before, or like, you know, we should just adopt the PaaS. It's like, I don't know. There's still like a lot of uncertainty. Is it, and I think from a developer, I could see why they're asking a lot of questions right now. So, so maybe here, here's like one, one theory of, uh, of uh, the life of cycle of this stuff. So it seems like, so here, here you could be selling your infrastructure layer of stuff, your platform, whatever it may be, or, or you could be uh, doing an open source thing. You want people, you want it to have wide use. It sounds like maybe... If this layer involves uh, running custom written software, right? So never mind packaged software and all of that stuff. But like, you're never really going to like sell to developers. But what you can sell to developers is like this way of doing your programming and packaging stuff up and frameworks that you use, you like, and it works well for you. And it, and if you get and you start getting them early on, you kind of win that over. And then you never really send your salespeople to talk to developers. You just send your, your thought lords and ladies. Or really to the people more or less who are in the application chain. But the people you go sell to are the infrastructure people who run the infrastructure and provide that. And basically yep. they're the ones you always sell to. And, you know, you can, you can do the thing of like, if you find the business owner who can push down from the top that you should do this stuff, there's that. But ultimately it seems like, it's the infrastructure people who are going to make it happen and have all the money. And so they're the ones you have to sell to. And you basically use developers to push to, uh, well, depending on which side of the thing you're on, you're, you're developers to force the infrastructure people to adopt your technology because the developers want to use it. And, and that's where the line of, of boredom is, is that like, you don't really want the developers to like muck around in the infrastructure people stuff because then right. the infrastructure people are going to be like developers are idiots and I'm not going to like <laughs> let them mess with my stuff. Yes. Yeah. I mean, definitely from the infrastructure people generally have the budget and the developers you know, are at least coming from the infrastructure side, the developers are seen as, you know, kind of fickle. And, you know, who, who, you know, today they're like this, tomorrow they're like that. And if you can give them a boring, you know, platform to, to work against, then they can be fickle off and do whatever they want. So, um, you know, be, being able to, to sell, uh, to sell, you know, it, you know, developers love it. And so do operators. That's that there's the, the play and yeah, the yeah. person with the budget hopefully has both sides of that. But Man, developers. Now, now let, let's let's <laughs> let's let's do. I think I think this joins up nicely with this week's uh, this week's episode of if if you sell your product for zero dollars, people will give you zero dollars for it. Otherwise known as the mystery of open source. Uh, but like, so let's do a little historic uh, sort of experiment lab. So if we were to in in the the scant time and memories that we have, if you were to look at OpenStack and Kubernetes 
the success of each of those would suggest there was a large lack of appealing to developers in the OpenStack world. There might well, be there might be other reasons that so, thing, things didn't pan out. Some might say there was out. a lack of a there was a lack of appeal to operators too. Right, right, right. But but at the very least, the the minute what's what's what do, what do you call what's it's necessary to have developers on your side for something like that, right? Like and interested in, I would like to run my application on OpenStack, right? Like whatever that may mean. So maybe I don't know if that was not available, and then. At some point, and and I think I think I think this is one of my like you know eye rolly beefs with the uh, the Kubernetes world. Like at some point, Kubernetes was all about selling to developers. Like it was there was very much so an appeal to developers and talking with them and kind yeah. of establishing the standards of things. And then there was this uh, this hard pivot to like oh developers back the fuck off right. But basically <laughs> there was there was like you know there was this coasting off of like developers want containers they want to do containers 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 like that is their new standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that allowed in addition to all sorts of other stuff that brought in all this interest of uh, Kubernetes because you had the developers on your side demanding. Uh, to do things in a containerized way and even demanding asking for uh, Kubernetes by name. Isn't that that's some kind of advertisement where you're supposed to ask for something that's boring by name in a consumer goods thing? Like, I hope you have Borden milk in the kitchen. I would suffer no less. Uh, but like so so that w- that would be the thing is. And I think I think in virtualization, like there was a similar thing where uh, developers were interested in VMware. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the success of VMware is an exec- exception to all developer driven infrastructure logic. Right. Because uh, it was just well, like because VMware's was... proposition was like, how would you like to save 10 million dollars this year? And everyone exactly. was like, done. We don't care anything yeah. else. <laughs> um I mean, developers got speed of infrastructure. Uh, you know, yeah. like joke around all you want about being stuff on prem being slow. It's like VMware was so much faster than bare metal. Yeah, I don't and, know, and, it, it, and, yeah. and that that was very appealing to developers. And it, but it also had the the unifying effect of like operators got to save a lot of money. They got a stableish platform. Yeah, you know, a lot yeah. of randomness went away, and then that's the same value of of Kubernetes, right? Developers get a you know, a stable platform operators get, you know, a, a unified way of, of, you know, providing content to developers. That's, that's what everybody wants. Yeah. Right? And, I'd even go one yeah, step further yeah. or something in between there. I think it's the container, right? Because even when you had the VM, it still had to like set it up, get the right operating system and all work. And now I think that intermediate part was like, Hey, developer can just create the container the way they want it. And then it's just like I can run it now. I don't even have to talk to any. You know, I don't yeah. even have to get into VMware anymore. I can just do exactly well, I, what I need and get exactly what I want. And then is the step you're talking about. Now I want to. I can run it on my machine, super easy. And then when I give it to uh, the operator, he he can run it on Kubernetes. And like we're all happy, right? Well, and, and serverless is you know that container was too much work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're yeah. exactly right. It goes even further. Right. It's right? Like, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah you know, All you I know, the, do is run this code. The the mm-hmm. uh, the adoption or not of serverless over the next three years will be another good test of this theory of developer stuff, right? Because in theory, the notion of it is like this is a great way for developers to do things, but but I I don't like maybe they want to i don't know we'll we'll see like i still like for all the serverless talk i very rarely come across examples of like people using serverless stuff which maybe is just what i pay attention to or not but it uh it seems uh just like a fun yeah, thing at this point it's it's i i mean I, I definitely am seeing it as kind of the 
that little bit of glue at this point, right? Because a lot of the cloud is just, you know, you've got this service over there and that service over there. And how do you stick them together? It's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, throw a little bit of glue in there. So like serverless is, you know, the 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 pearl of uh, of the cloud and it's, it's not going to go away. And there's not really a successor to, you know, how much simpler can you get than just running straight code? Mm. <laughs> and, and then, and then I guess I get I guess another interesting bumper, uh, so to speak, for this would be: so it, is all of this work sort of just trying to replicate public cloud, but not using one of the three public cloud people? Because it seems like like the proposition of a public cloud thing for developers is like you just get what you want very quickly. Like you don't have to worry about configuring things and. We've got all of these different services that you can use, like whether you want to be serverless or straight up, like directly get SSH into a VM and things like this. Like, like it is everyone just chasing, like if you didn't want to just fully commit to Azure, Google or AWS, like, do they set the standard of what's awesome? And, you know, the rest of us are just trailing after them. At least in the moment, I think they're definitely setting the agenda. Now, I think we can question whether or not going forward, and ultimately is the time right, like just how many things can ultimately move to the public cloud and people want to. And it, it reminded me something of, you know, Kote, you recommended, I think a couple of weeks ago, was uh, Paz and Kaz podcast with, uh, I guess your colleague, is it Cornelia Davis? Mm-hmm. And uh, she, uh, that podcast is interesting because she gives like a little history that it's some stuff I just forgotten about, like going back in time that. You know, before you know Amazon sort of widely popularized you know, infrastructure as a service, like there was Google App Engine. Mm-hmm. And she even reminded me that Azure, I think, originally started just as yeah, a, a pass. And then there's uh, Heroku, and you know, I'm missing uh-huh. some. And it's and you kind of go back and you say, you know, it was, you know, I, I think it's more of like a timing thing. It's like, well, none of those things ultimately hit. All the necessary, you know, kind of what we we're talking about before is like, can I write in any language? Do I have confidence it's going to be stable as a developer to run this on? And then do I just have confidence the platform will be around? Because a lot of those have, you know, been, uh, I don't know, did Google write? Did they officially write like the, the blog post to end uh, Google App Engine and, you know, retire all that, that stuff? That, that, is it still the out there? Like, okay. I mean, so, it's one of the, the few Google properties to survive the purge. But, all right. Well, good. <laughs> that made it. So, but like Heroku, is it still, can you still? Yeah, it's still, right. still okay. there. They're, so they're, I don't know. I just never books. hear people, I mean, not that I'm you know, always in the know, but I never hear people using it. So, but I think it's sort of like, it's back to, and I think, you know, I was thinking of like an analogy would be, you know, the iPhone, as we've talked about, or people talk about nauseam, really kind of figured out mobile, right? But, but like there was the Newton and there was the Palm Pilot. And every step of the way, I think we were like, this is cool, but I don't know. It's just not there yet, right? But then there's yeah. this moment when it all gets, when it's like, wow, it's all working. And I think, and I'm sure there are some platforms as a service like I'm missing, right? But it's like none of those, in fact, a lot of those platforms and those services became infrastructure as a service. Like Google, everyone kind of relented. They're like, yeah, we know yeah. this is where we want to go. Yeah. And so, so back to your original question, it's like what I think you're seeing here is in another attempt to like build on top of Kubernetes this, you know, we're calling it serverless or functions. It's another attempt to get there to like, and is the time right? Are like people ready for it and can... Yeah. It, all the stuff come together at once that it become it can become wildly popular. And I think that's where you'd say AWS and to a less extent Azure and Google are, are really making the big push there. But it's also possible it's just not. It's just kind of like, well, 
you well, know, the Palm Pilot was a lot better than the Newton. But like after a while, you're like, <laughs> it's just not there, right? You're like, yeah. it's just not enough. And it's so I don't know. In a couple of years, we may just decide it's like, no, it just it just wasn't, yeah. you know, and, wasn't right. And, and, and to your point, maybe like, that you know, you hit on something that kind of flummoxes me is like, uh, you all all of all of the all of them. Most of the people doing this stuff nowadays, like, started with a full-blown classic Paz that had the same value proposition of making the developers' lives easier, right? We're going to handle all this boring stuff, and you can just focus on your business logic, which we as an industry should come up with a better term than business logic, but we can just use it until we do. Uh, most of it's business illogic. Am I right? Uh, anyways. Uh. But then they, like, as we saw, they ended up having to, uh, strip back down to like the, uh, the nuts and bolts, as it were, right? Like, for yep. whatever reason, and I'm not even going to say developers, but their revenue came not from those, those full on PaaS things, but from just sort of like self service, quick, raw IT, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. and then well, eventually it, it, to your point, Brandon, like it builds back up to where we are now, where, you know, you get people at CF Summit who are kind of like, you know, in a, in a, in a kind of weird way, like where they sigh, they're like, welcome to the party, I guess. I don't know why you didn't come before, but here we are. I, I got, I got this nice Kubernetes chips that you like. So, you know, <laughs> in, enjoy your yeah. time. But, and, well, and so like that, I, I mean, I guess I get, you know, there, there is, there is a timing thing, but it, it does, it does, I guess I guess it gets a little confusing because it, it, I wonder like so is it gonna like work this time or is it more the case that historically you always have to have nuts and bolts right like yeah like I, when what where can you put this line I, I think if there's one thing developers developers are it's optimistic that it's gonna work this time mm, uh, but yeah. but you know what 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 happened o- over time you know the pass platform was you know probably over specific for the use cases that people wanted yeah, right so yeah. you know your google and, and and microsoft they 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 launch as a pass and people are like but i wanted to do this and so the you know you come back and you hit them with the ias um and and you know amazon got that right they started with that uh and then we kind of have this like you know specific general specific general going back and forth and today, you know, the the specific is, you know, your your cloud foundries or you know your, uh, you know, third generation pass or whatever you want to call it, um, and the general is now the container, which is actually, you know, mm. still pretty specific over general IIS. You know, that's, um, you know, they're still selling a lot of that, but you know, the, the container is kind of the new general, and then, but the real question is like, once you get to serverless. Uh, you can't get more specific, can you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, I mean, I, and, I, yeah. and the other thing you bring up, uh, Brandon, yeah, that, that that episode with Cornelia was good, and she kind of lays out. I don't know if it's done per. Well, it kind of is, but it, she kind of lays out what I would call like a very, uh, you know how how I my understanding in 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 physics is they do a lot of of theory, and the first step of the theory is assume friction doesn't exist. So you can just kind of get kind of pure with how you're understanding things and sort of like the frictionless theory of uh, cloud native uh, stuff, I think, is there's this cloud native way of developing software that's based on highly distributed uh, components using microservices that 
are going to scale up because they're basically stateless. And then therefore, you know, it's just that's kind of the core of, of cloud native development. You have little little stateless nodes that communicate with each other through microservices and you get all sorts of stuff from that. And then, so again, the frictionless theory would be like, we have this new way of developing uh, software, so we need the infrastructure to support it. And therefore, now we have this kind of like, you know, container-driven infrastructure platform as a service world, which which is like, is 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 true now and and you know her book goes over kind of what that programming model is but it seems but I, but i guess the marketing to this point and the community building i'm not sure if it was like that clear like hey developers you want to build things this way and therefore you need that kind of infrastructure or or if things just like naturally evolve that way like because it would seem like if you were trying to control the uh, selection of an infrastructure layer I guess that's what I was getting to earlier. You would start off by being like, all right, so what is the way we want programmers to think, right? Like, how do we want them to architect their applications and how do we want them to think that it therefore becomes necessary for them to use our our stuff? And I get the feeling that like Kubernetes was popular because like Google did it. Like not necessarily because it was like built around the idea of cloud native applications. Although maybe, maybe... What we mean by Probably cloud native both. applications yeah. is the way Google writes applications, right? And that's yeah. that's what? sort of like the 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 uh, the the sort of like you know the horse and the cart eating its tail, so to speak, that yeah. just kind of goes around in circles, like me. But I do think you know you bring up a lot of interesting points, and I think the timing, right, is 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 always the really interesting point. And I think the the short answer is to like it's a super complicated problem with lots of different moving parts, and that's why like there's there's no such sense of like a developer just stops and is like this isn't what he wants. Like developers are constantly thinking about what they want, their needs are changing, infrastructure needs are changing, business needs are changing, and that's why you know just in business in general, right, all, all the books you know often are just basically you know looking back and looking at survivor bias and writing, well, this is why it worked, but it's not mm. obvious at these times. And so, and I think if we go back in time and you could say, you know, using that same Palm pilot versus Newton, it's like, well, the Newton's just way too big and it doesn't really do what I want. And the battery life's bad. And the Palm pilot's like, this is really, this solved a lot of problems, but I don't want to learn graffiti. And it turns out the network, the wireless networks we have just aren't really there. And then there's this moment where it breaks free. And I think that's just what you have to be thinking about. And I think, and I think it was working in technology. I think if you find yourself being like, wow, this is our, I've already had this. It's been around for a long time. Like, why are these guys just getting to the party? It's like, well, listen, there was probably someone before you, right? Mm. That said the same thing. And it's like, the reason, you know, it isn't so much that people are dumb. It's like the conditions, all the things I talked about, like developers, infrastructure, business, they just honestly were not right. It wasn't like these ideas didn't exist before. It's just it 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 just never came together. And you may be in the middle of a wave where you think it's definitely going to hit, and it doesn't. It misses, right? And just like go back to Google App Engine or Heroku, it's like they just missed out on that, right? It just like it was a little too early. It wasn't right. Now we're going to try again. We'll see if it gets right now. And I think anybody that really claims that they know what's going on, you know, is, is foolish, right? Because that's why you see all these acquisitions. People don't know, right? People are buying different things. They're trying mm. different things, right? You run as an independent company or I'm going to buy your startup. And, you know, eventually it does hit and people want like the next VMware, the next AWS. And, you know, who knows? Something will happen. There'll be another major, you know, big movement. But it's always hard to know when that day is coming. All right. All right. Well, we should, I'll, I'll wrap up this topic and then we can wrap up this episode because I realize I'm just I'm confusing myself, which is that's that's a terrible state. 
uh, here. But but let me let me pause it. And again, I, this is a theory in that I don't know is true or not. It's just a little, little something to, to think about uh, to test this out. So so if if, if if much of what we've been talking about is sort of like uh, heuristically true, then that would imply that one, if you're making a product, and by product I mean open source or commercial or whatever, that is purely centered around like developer stuff, right? Like things a developer uses day to day. Basically, there's no money in that. However, <laughs> however, it can be used strategically to drive the necessity of like infrastructure stuff and other things that someone else will pay for operations yeah. people pay the you can always this is like you know uh, i used to call this my janitor strategy which is like if you can get all this people to like throw up on the floor you're going to be able to like charge a lot of money for janitors right like this creates a problem <laughs> that you need to, to clean up and so so that would imply that like if you're a startup working on like purely developer stuff your only exit is basically to be purchased by a company that sells infrastructure stuff that needs you to basically like front run developers pulling and wanting to use your infrastructure stuff. Like there's no, there's no real sustainable long-term business model for a purely developer focused business, except being acquired by like some infrastructure people who are like, Oh yeah, we need this to be the prevailing standard for developers. So it pushes them to use this other stuff that we sell to operations people so they can integrate with active directory. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. definitely a, that, yeah, that is an incredibly hard market um, because essentially you've got the likes of, of Microsoft who are giving away a, a fairly great developer experience now with visual studio code and pushing large swaths of development towards that of people who in the end Microsoft wants them to consume Azure. And so, you know, the whole developer experience is how can I become a better consumer of Azure? You know, can I can I oh look, I can deploy straight to uh, you know, to uh, AKS or, you know, this GitHub integration sure is swell and I get notifications right inside my IDE and I can, you know, oh this Visual Studio uh, pipeline, you know, the the DevOps pipelines, you know, are, are fully incorporated. So you Ooh, just get pipelines. more and more focused, uh, more and more focused on, you know, that experience. And, you know, if you want to sell a way of doing things and you control the end to end means, that's always been a successful market. I mean, you know, Microsoft mm-hmm. has done that for years and years and years. You know, they, they, they understood going back to like the, uh, uh, guy Kawasaki days and, you know, that, um, the way, you know, or not a guy, Kawasaki, he was the Apple guy, uh, the, uh, the, the guy, the, you know, the, the Microsoft uh, ID um, evangelist guys who, you know, they were giving away the developer tools um, to the Microsoft platform and all that anti-competitive stuff they got hit for uh, in the 90s, you know, that, that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Once again, stuff developers use, no money in that. <laughs> well, it, it leads to money. I, and I, and I, gu- money. I guess I guess that's why the Red Monk theory is that the developers are the kingmakers, uh, and uh, 
just as their their developer friends in the open source world experience, you know, they don't actually uh, control the money. They they end up in the guillotine uh, when uh, the other pe- the operators come in and take over. If uh, they, they flee the country to the Barbados, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I should I should make less harsh analogies. You know, guillotines aren't nice. They they end yeah. up uh, I don't know what a less they, harsh. They end up training their dragon and having a great time in Dutch. Oh yeah, yeah, and and it turns out it's not Christian Slater. It's what a letdown. Well, uh, I'm glad we got that one cinched up. Another great. <laughs> exploration of theory so there's a lot of uh, a lot of exciting conferences going on uh, a lot of news i i uh i'm gonna be i just added i'm gonna be at devops days london at the end of this month this being september um now now they're having a optional swagless event uh at the devops days london if i, I read the prospectus and it said we are having a swagless event but we understand if you need if you want to bring something now my read of that is you're an asshole if you bring swag. So we're not going to have any, which means uh, you will only have my pleasant company uh, as your gift if you come there but, and talk with me. But Cote will, ha- will have SDT stickers, of course. I hope so. Man, I'm really bad about bringing those. I need to uh, I need to put them in my little kit of, of things, yeah. just, just tons of them. And also, uh, I, I was asked to go to something the day before in London on September 25th, and I don't really know what it is. So... If you look around for tech events on September 25th, I will be the, at, at one of them. <laughs> if you're interested in that, <laughs> well, may, maybe you'll figure it out by the time we post the show notes. I hope so. I'm just going to rely on my handlers to, uh, you know, come to my hotel something, room, wake me up, and something, something, London. <laughs> I'll be like cloud, 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 or something. Now. Also, uh, November 3rd and 7th in Barcelona, we got the Gartner Symposium. Now, Brandon, you've been to a Gartner event like this, I presume. Oh, many times, of course. And uh, are, are, they, are they good? I think they're very corporate. They're very enterprisey. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's, that should be good. And in the parlance of our guess. podcast, I think it's where all the janitors come. Like you can you can talk to a lot of janitors at that conference, but uh, I actually have a discount code. You can get six hundred twenty-five euros off your registration you, if you uh, uh, you know contact me in Slack or email, and you're interested in going. I'll send you that code. And I don't know, we got some other stuff going on. Any conferences you want to highlight, Matt Ray? Uh, I'm speaking to Cloud Expo Asia uh, next October. Yeah, October ninth and tenth, and I have been shortlisted for EmacsConf. Short November second. We're all we're getting closer. Yeah. Gosh, a, I'm getting pumped up. I am it's, getting it's excited. A, it's a virtual conference, and of course, they told me your talk will be 3 a.m. Hey, oh, I'm in. I'm now, in. Now, you, is you got to stay up, Matt? We got to do it. Is there any way we uh, can use the uh, the goodwill and the collective power of the software defined <laughs> talk community to to petition to have you moved from the short list to the yes, you're doing it list? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Can they put? Uh, can they I, submit I, yeah. some like pull requests or something? Does that? Uh, I don't know. Is that how they Maybe, do it? Uh, storm the IRC channel. I don't know. Yeah, boy, boy, I bet they use IRC in the Emacs community. They're probably just like you know Slack. They do. What is this? <laughs> is there has yeah. someone written an Emacs package with a bunch of parentheses for Slack? If you know, so, I, I I bet they have. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll follow up on that one. So someone's working on that. Well, uh, do we have any any feedback or anything to follow up on, Brandon? And we do. We got a Matt Ray quiz coming up, so pay attention, Matt Ray. One, I want to uh, thank Blair from London. He sent us an email, so I sent him a bunch of stickers. But more importantly, even better, David from Rockanay, 
Wakanini, New Zealand. He sent us an email in uh, making fun of the way that we uh, portrayed New Zealand as a small island next to uh, Australia. But he tells me, he says a couple, one thing he says, like, don't say uh, fanny pack in New Zealand. He told me it means something totally different. I don't know what, but he did. But he gave me a bunch of words here, Matt Ray. So we're going to see how you do. Do you know what the <laughs> following words mean? Jandals. What are jandals? Uh, well, they're the, the, those flip-flops. Okay. Togs. What are togs? A uh, swimsuit, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Uh, the, the povo- I don't know. Po- Pavlova. Pavlova? P- yeah, what is that? <laughs> um, it, is, it, it is like a kind of a meringue dessert kind of thing. And, and New right. Zealand and Australia debate over who actually invented it. Oh, boy. Okay. And usually there's some, some passion fruit oh. seeds. All right. Maybe we should just declare New Zealand invented it and just say we're done with that just <laughs> topic. Right in if you disagree. <laughs> Pineapple lumps? What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. Ooh, what don't know what lumps. pineapple lumps mean. Don't know. And then lollies is that like what does that it's mean? It's candy. It's candy? your lollipops. Candy. All right, you it's did pretty well. You only got one wrong, yeah. so I guess. Uh, <laughs> How do I don't you know, know I got able... it wrong? You don't know what it is. <laughs> um, I don't know. Someone else will fact check this work. You pineapple know, it's like when I, are, are, yeah. This is just like when I help my son with Spanish homework. You know, if you just say it aggressively, like it's correct, they they often believe you. So uh, you don't know, uh, and you're like, what and, do you and by they you mean your children. Actually, yeah, I was actually about to say, no, it doesn't work because then he asked me other questions. Like, well, what does this mean? It's like, I don't know. Listen, don't don't ask any more questions. All right, well, good job. Well, if you would like to send uh, trivia questions from Matt Ray, or more importantly, <laughs> if you'd like to get uh, stickers sent to you for free anywhere in the world, send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. We'll send you some stickers. I'll ask Matt Ray questions, and I will fact check check them. So mm. check it out. I, I found a list of uh, of funny Dutch words that I I don't remember the Dutch for recently. I did, I shouldn't say I found it. One of my my friends uh, at Pivotal Taco Bob he he sent it to me, but there was a good one. I should look it up. And it was basically the literal translation. Well, you, you use this phrase to mean someone who is like a nitpicker, like they pay attention to details too closely, and it literally translates as ant fucker. So I think that uh, that says a lot about the uh, Dutch sense of humor. I'll have to find that list. Maybe next time we have uh, two ads, instead of geographic oddities, we can we can use uh, funny phrases from not America, uh, and we can just profile them. Well, you know, to kind of keep up with stuff, you should join our Slack channel. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, uh, you can find it there. We got all sorts of other stuff going on. If you want to go to the show notes, which you can find at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 196 since this is episode 196 we got twitter and instagram and linkedin all sorts of good stuff like that there's a discount on one of my books it goes from 20 dollars to five dollars you should go buy that and as mentioned earlier you should subscribe to the newsletter that i'm trying to uh stay on top of if you go to uh cote.io slash newsletter you can sign up for it you should sign up for it send it to your friends you know, it's like all these things. It's entertaining for me to write it, but when I get uh, higher numbers of of people, you don't actually have to read it. You can just subscribe to it. You can set up a rule <laughs> that automatically deletes it when it comes. That's fine. But just it makes me happy to know that uh, that number exists. But with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Oh, uh, one quick thing before we get to that. Robert Scoble, is that what you were looking for earlier, Matt? Is that the developer advocate for Microsoft back in the day or no? Uh, he was one. Yeah, he was yeah, one. He was I was one. gonna say, just I was looking, I was trying to look up the name, and it's like, man, he's kind of a dark, 
kind of a dark uh, uh, life since he left Microsoft. So anyway, read that Wikipedia page if you're interested. But my real recommendations this week were two podcasts, Land of the Giants and Pivot. They're both from uh, the Vox Media or Recode, uh, one of those things. And so I, I like the um, Land of the Giants, basically four or five podcast series around Amazon. So if you're interested in what's going on to Amazon, uh, it's fun to listen to. But the last episode of Land of the Giants, they do an interview with Scott Galloway, who also uh, appears on the Pivot podcast. And I think we've talked about him several times. So someone described him as like a business influencer, someone that talks a lot about business. And uh, it's interesting. And I think, uh, but I really enjoyed this last uh, interview where basically the uh, producer or the uh, host of Land of the Giants interviews Scott Galloway on his take on Amazon. And kind of some interesting, provocative things. Um, some of the stuff we talk about here, but some other things to think about. So I would say, you know, um, definitely check it out. And if you're interested, if you like that last episode, um, you can either subscribe to Pivot or Land of the Giants mm. to get more of Scott Galloway or more about Amazon. So check those out. So so you endorse the Land of the Giants thing. I, of course, hear the ads when I'm trying to listen to my favorite podcaster, Matt, Matt uh, Iglesias, but it's, it's good. <laughs> That's right. I like it. I mean, I, you know, I'm really interested as, you know, we talk about like digital transformation all the time, of course. Right. But it's kind of interesting. Um, I think we are, like, I think Amazon and Uber and we work like kind of like all this happening right now, it's going to be like maybe like 10 years ago, you know, when we are whatever, maybe even longer now, 15 or 20 years ago, we think about like pets.com as being like this company that failed, but sort of like mm. as a, a capstone to like a certain period of technology. Like I think one of these, like I think Uber may be that capstone around like, you know, the whole like software eating the world, but then it's almost like, like someone needs to write the next version of that article about like the world's digesting software, but software being put in its place a little bit. And I think, you know, Galloway, while I don't always agree with him, I think sometimes his points are a little bit stretched. Like he sort of, I think is at the vanguard of like this conversation right now. Like, what does it mean if Amazon never, this will be a good teaser to listen to the podcast. What does it mean for the society of Amazon never has to make a profit? If the mm. stock just continuously goes up, but everyone's decided this company never has to show profitability, what are the societal consequences of that decision? And it's yeah, like, that's fine. That is an interesting conversation. Or I left it like, huh, I need to think more about that. So it, it, that's it, kind of the stuff they talk about. It basically means from a financial perspective, they're a government service, which, uh, I don't know. I think a lot of people probably think of them as that. I mean, they wouldn't say that out loud, but it's sort of like this is this is an essential part of my life that I am happy to f fund. I don't know. I don't know my case, but like yeah. So just to go one step further, I think this is what he brings up though is like what normally like you know if you will capitalism in quotations there like what would normally happen is a company eventually has to make a profit. Those mm. profit are going to be passed to investors or stockholders in some format, right? And then they're going to be taxed. And then that money goes back into providing, you know, other services that we as a you know, world want or Oof. the ability to buy their things. So now if you say this company never has to make any money, right? So therefore this company never pays any taxes and this company continuously reinvests all of its profits into making things cheaper and cheaper. But at the same time, that that's sort of like, if you keep following that logic, it's like, but then the tax base goes down and people, you know, it's like there's like real societal impacts. Like it's almost like it's the classic, you know, where he goes is like the, the, the tail wagging the dog. Right. You know, like we're all just serving Amazon to like not make any profits versus they're making all this stuff more efficiently. And in theory, those taxes could then be reinvested to help society. So it's like just a lot to think about inside of all of that. Mm. Hmm. 
who taxes the taxers. Am I right? <laughs> exactly. All exactly. Right. How about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you have to recommend? Uh, well, I, I just did a, a quick bit of googling, and the the guy I was thinking of on uh, thinking of was Jim Plamondon, the Microsoft mm-hmm. evangelist. Uh, he was uh, his his notes and internal documentation about how to do developer evangelism were um, key evidence in the U.S. versus Microsoft uh, antitrust stuff. They, they called it the Plamondon files. Yeah. So uh, you can actually dig that stuff up and uh, find them as, you know, uh, scanned in evidence. It's, it's quite fascinating about how he talked about attacking, you know, not attacking, but uh, yeah, attacking other developer communities for, for bringing them into your fold. Yeah. Um, I should go. I, remember, I, I read that a long time ago. I should go reread it. And, and yeah. I actually yeah, ran into he, him because he lived in Austin and I have a, I don't, exactly. he never, he never published it, but I got a, like an unpublished manuscript that he'd written, which was. Kind yeah. Of I, I, I have that too. He, uh, he briefly worked at Rackspace That's and right. was going to become like an open stack, uh, evangelist. And, uh, oh, if only, uh, how would have things only. been different? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think uh, I believe he might actually live in Australia now. It, you know, he's kind of off the grid a bit. But yeah. uh, I think what happened, if I remember, is his his wife unexpectedly died, and and yeah. he he was he he was not interested in all this crazy business stuff anymore, <laughs> and just pursued like his uh, musical interests. Like he'd invented some kind of musical instrument, I think. Yeah, and now so, I remember uh, I remember looking up that he's involved in some sort of industry consortium in thailand if if uh if i remember right there you go some some fun googling for for our, our listeners but uh uh my pick this week is uh I, a couple weeks back i said i was looking forward to the wu-tang american saga on hulu i started watching it it's actually pretty good and uh i started watching at the same time the uh showtime uh uh wu-tang mikes and men documentary so kind of Going back and forth, they're both uh, heavily involved with the uh, original um, creators. So, you know, it's uh, if if you like the Wu Tang, it's a uh, you know a one two punch of good good uh, history and and uh, entertainment. You know, you know, in that the uh, that famous first album, there's this radio segment they have that they record, and yep. they and they say they say the uh, the like something like you know the genius is the genius. He just pulls it all together. And my understanding is like it was the the Rizzo who was the one who pulled everything together. So what who, what what role did this genius guy play that we've never heard the of? G- the Jizza and the Rizza. they yeah, were cousins. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, so maybe they so, were combined yeah. together. But like did the you know I feel like the things shifted around as time went on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know they all take turns being the front man, but uh-huh. uh, the Rizzo was kind of the, the mastermind. So if, if he you was the guy the in show, ghost dog who walks up and like fist yes. bumps Forrest Whitaker. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh, uh the Rizza was, uh, <laughs> the, the producer, uh-huh. the original guy. And so the, 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 um, the genius. Yeah. The jizz is the genius. So, so, and, and ODB, uh, those three were cousins. Oh, and, uh, I the, see. Uh, the Hulu series, uh, the main character is the Rizza. I right. see, I see. I and see. then, you know, you, there's all these other people you're like, uh, who's that guy? Oh, he's not going to, you know, he didn't join the Wu-Tang. He got killed. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. You know, that, yeah. that, so that, that this, this, I'm remembering something I was going to ask you, Brandon. So now they, you got your, your professor, Scott Galloway. He has a podcast with Kara Swisher. Now I like both of these together, but I feel like 
Have you listened to that podcast? Yeah, that's Pivot. That is okay. That's okay. The one I okay. That's yeah, yeah. That's why I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. Now, now my sense is I like both of these together, but you know, to, to as as Outcast would 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 say, I think this is maybe like too sweet, like a plate of yams with extra syrup on top. Like, is it too much to handle having these two people together talking with each other? Like, am I gonna am I gonna like break a tooth listening to it? You know, there's a. I think they they definitely edge up to it, and I think there's several times they kind of go over. You like you kind of want them to dial it back a little bit, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. on the whole, like I, you know, I guess I would say this: like I, it's in my uh, podcast feed or queue, and I, I, I do listen to it pretty religiously. I'm, I like. All right, all right. I think I think it's a good thing to do, but it is like there are times where. Um, like if you were to criticize, you know, Galloway has, and they both have like a lot of set pieces, you know, like just like their go-to diatribes a little bit, and you kind of yeah. like, okay, you, at times you feel like they're just reciting lines versus like uh, really, you know, expressing kind of some new ideas. But each episode is, I, I usually walk away at each episode. There's something new or interesting for me to think about. So, yeah. so you know, but your 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 uh, caution there or your instinct is right. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of that. Well, you know, I mean, as longtime listeners know, I would never have a bunch of bits. Or go to topics that I continue. <laughs> Absolutely talk not. About. Nothing no. on this podcast. Totally Everything or- on this podcast is instantaneously thought of. Every second original content. Just no, no repeats. All right. Well, that's that's good to cool. hear. Maybe I should check that out. You know, I feel I feel like that Scott Galloway guy is kind of like uh, if you took Seth Godin and just like sent him to CrossFit and gave him like millions of dollars through an acquisition of a consumer company and uh, just got got him all hopped up on goofballs. Just very going crazy. Yeah. What is it? No mercy, no malice? I don't know what that means. What does that mean? That doesn't make sense. Uh, well, my recommendation uh, this week, uh, speaking of the opposite of Professor Scott Galloway, uh, rhetorically, uh, if you should check out this book called uh, Trick Mirror, and I still haven't remembered how to say her name correctly, Gia Torrentino. I'm saying it wrong because I don't have it in front of me. In my defense, I very rarely know anyone's name or how to pronounce it. It just it's you know so it's not indiscriminate i don't think that's a good excuse but it's a great book it's a bunch of uh i think five or six original essays that she's written and uh yeah they're just like wonderful i don't really ever give anything five stars but i gave it five stars and good reads i listen to the like brandon i listen to the audio version uh, and she reads it which i think makes it uh anytime you have an author reading something it definitely is worthwhile because then you know in theory, they read it the way they heard, they hear it when they wrote it. So you get to hear all the pauses and intonations and stuff. And uh, it's a good book. You should read it or listen to it. Well, with that, this has been another fantastic episode of Software Defined Talk. You can check out the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 196. Now, if you know how URLs work, you can just delete three of those characters in there. I'll let you pick which ones they are. And you can go see all the episodes and uh, join the Slack channel, stuff like that. Remember, subscribe to my newsletter. Find out how at cote.io slash newsletter. We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.